0: How do you know when it is that your business is ready to scale? So knowing that you're ready to scale has a lot to do with how much stability there is in the business, right? So one of the things, one of the ways in which we identify immediately that a business is not ready to scale is whenever their process breaks down, when something new comes in or volume increases, right? So maybe you're able to handle one sale at a time really well, but the moment... Sometimes you have like let's say three or four or five, everything breaks down. Everybody's haywire. Everybody's phone is ringing. Nobody, your business is not ready to scale, right? So you then need to figure out that okay, how do we create a process, a system where whether we're selling five units or we're selling twenty units or we're selling twenty um, um, or, or we're selling fifty units, the process is working, right? And the process doesn't break down or fall apart at that point. And that's exactly how it works, right? To be able to determine it's how it's, it's about pressure testing.
1: Every big thing starts small. It's a natural law. Every big multinational corporation was once a small business. Welcome to the Small Starter Business Podcast, a unique podcast for practical tips and advice to help you start grow or turn around your business hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the small starter business podcast i am your host john paul Iwoha. in today's episode we're going to be talking about growth and growth is very important for anybody who runs a business i've never seen or i've hardly seen uh, a business owner who starts a business with one customer and wants to remain with one customer. The trend is that people want to grow. From having one customer, you want three customers, five customers, ten customers, fifty. You get the drift, right? So growth is always on the mind of um, a business owner. It's always on the mind of an entrepreneur. How do I? scale out this thing i started in my bedroom at the back of my house in my garage how do i make it into something bigger into something that is in one location a big headquarters in several locations in several countries across the world right so growth is that's constant um, in the minds of um, anybody who runs a business and to discuss growth um, this episode is a sneak peek into our private community, the insiders. So we had this session last year, right? And um, we invited an expert and um, you're going to listen to her shortly. She shares some very interesting nuggets about how to grow a business. Particularly, she explains why growth is, a, is um, elusive for entrepreneurs, because many business owners work very hard. They put in their time, their effort, their blood, their sweat but they don't tend to see the commensurate results on the other end, right? Um, she talks about why this is. Um, she also talks about three very important factors you need to boost the growth of any business. And I like the simplicity uh, she uses to explain these concepts. In And it's it's in such a way that no matter where you are, what kind of business you do. These are very easy steps you can start implementing in your business today. And then she talks about the common mistakes that entrepreneurs make when they are trying to uh, grow their business. And I needed to listen towards the very end because I asked her a very important question about how do you know when it is time to grow your business? And her response was really eye opening. So I hope you enjoy this episode um, as much as I did. I hope you enjoy it as much as our members did because they had the front row seats during this conversation and she really blew it out of out of the water. So, I'm going to step aside now so that you listen to the interview. You're going to know her name, the name of her company, and the amazing insights that she shared with us. Happy listening.
2: Thank you everyone for making it to this very special session. It's special for two reasons. We have an expert strategist in the house. I'm going to introduce her shortly. And it happens that this is the last mastermind session we're going to have in 2021. And this session is important because it's going to help us uh, kick off the strategic planning for our different businesses. Um, Christine has worked with a lot of businesses within the stages that most of us here are familiar with, particularly within the, the startup and growth stages. I want you to listen attentively. As she shares her wisdom, I want you to take note of your questions because we're going to have a question and answer session. So, that being said, I also need to apologize for my voice. I'm a bit under the weather. I lost my voice recently. I'm just I'm only just recovering. So I hope you are going to be patient with me as I try my best to moderate this session. So let me start by introducing our special guest. Uh, Our special guest is Christine H. Wilson. She is a venture builder and founder of Sport. Sport is an organization that develops local African companies into global giants. She works with entrepreneurs to tackle business challenges and capture growth opportunities to scale their businesses. Christine is also a distinguished academic. She holds degrees from Princeton University, the University of Oxford, and she is currently pursuing a PhD at Stanford University. So she has agreed to um, be with us for three uh, private sessions. So this is the first part in a three-part series. And I want to officially welcome Christine to the insiders community. Thank you for honoring the invitation, Christine.
0: Perfect. I actually struggled to unmute there. Uh, thank you so much, John. Shall, shall I have my video on what's the, the protocol here? Yes,
2: yes, yes, because there'll be a video um file for this session. Okay. So yes, awesome. that will help.
0: Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't sure if I should. So um yeah, it was off. But yeah, um I'm really excited to be here. Good to meet everybody um that's on this call, and I'm I'm happy for this call to go in um, you know whatever ways uh, most helpful. Uh, To to recap what John Paul said, um, I'm Kristen. uh, I love to go by Kristen. And I run a company called Spurt. And what we do, so Spurt is basically short for growth spurt. um, And what we do at Spurt is essentially try to uh, help companies to get to that growth spurt or to navigate that growth spurt. So we uh, don't work with huge companies, right? Once you've sort of like come through your growth spurt, um you know we're good and we hand you off to the next set of experts so you can kind of think about spurt like pediatricians right so um and you're looking for any kind of support really we are sector agnostic we are in that sense stage agnostic as well um we're able to provide support the way that our business is designed at spread is essentially to make sure that we are meeting our um company leaders and entrepreneurs at their point of need we have uh, since the very inception of the business, uh, operated a remote business, which means that we're able to service clients um, you know all over the continent. we We are an Africa focused business. So what that means is that whether you are operating a business in South Africa or in Malawi or in Cameroon, Or in Ghana, um, we're able to provide our services to you, um, you know, at the same high quality and at the same level. So I'm really excited to be here and I'm happy to answer any questions and to provide
2: any support that's useful. Splendid. So um, we usually like to start with an icebreaker question. We want to connect to the human on the other side. Mm -hmm. And one, one of our favorite questions is, what is one interesting thing about you that most people don't know? So doing the research for this session, I was able to find out about your your background, your work experience, your academic qualifications. But is there something that's interesting that we need to know that most people don't know?
0: Mm, I think the one thing that a lot of people don't know about me is that uh, most people, when they meet me and just, I guess, interacting with me, they think that I'm a very serious person. Um, I think what most people don't know about me in the first instance is that i'm actually very silly and very playful um you know uh so i think i think that would be the big thing i think most people have an impression especially when they have like
2: photos of me i always look so serious interesting interesting (laughs) i I i think it's a common it's a common thing that afflicts people within the consulting space because you have to do the job with a serious face and sometimes people just generalize that that part of you is all of you. Exactly. So exactly. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad to know there's a real human on the other side. So okay. <laughs> yeah, it's really important.
0: And and honestly, I think even just when I think about our approach to doing business experts, uh, this point you make about there being a real human on the other side is really how we like to do things. Uh, Consulting is very cutthroat um, and it's it's, it's very scope oriented, right? This is the scope of our engagement. This is what you've paid us for. We're going to show up, deliver and exit, right? Um, But one of the things that we decided was that that wasn't helpful for small businesses, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Small businesses definitely need need a little bit more latitude, need a lot more flexibility and a lot more creativity. But more important than that, this kind of like, um, you know, cold objectivity that um, traditional consulting brings to the fore needs to be tempered with a genuine um, sort of investment in the success of the business um, and the success of the people behind the business um, in order for um, us to be able to deliver value. Um, and this is something that we sort of like to bring uh, to our delivery expert.
2: Okay, very well said, very well said. So um, I think we'll just launch into the theme of, theme of this conversation, which is growth. I remember during the prep um, session we had, and we had three topics to choose from, I made it clear to you that one of the major headaches that people have in our community, which is a very credible sample size of the larger entrepreneurship community across of Africa, is growth. Many people have business ideas. They have fantastic ideas, multi-million dollar ideas. But then when they actually start the business, reality hits them right smack in the face. And then there's a lot of frustration. How do I grow this business? How do I take it from three customers to 10 customers to 100 customers? I'm struggling with this thing. You know, I'm, I'm doing customer service. I'm, in, I'm in responding for manufacturing, production, and sales and everything. So the question here is, Why do you think in your experience that many business um, owners continue to struggle with growth despite their best efforts? It's not like they're not trying. This is like the last thing they have on their mind before they go to sleep. And the first thing they have on their mind is the moment they wake up. So why is it that despite all the hustle and all the attempts, growth kind of remains elusive for many entrepreneurs in Africa?
0: So I think, I I think uh, there's three reasons, right? Um, And, I I think also in order, really, Um, I think it's talent, uh, capital, and then process. So um, I think talent is a huge barrier to growth in this part of the world, um, because in my experience working with small businesses, um, I see that there's a lot of um, inefficiencies in, in talent management. So you've got companies that are too big, right, for what it is that they're trying to achieve um, and companies that are too small also for what it is that they're trying to achieve. And then you've also got companies that have the wrong people doing the wrong thing or the right people doing the wrong thing. Um, And so just generally, these inefficiencies around talent management, I think, are a huge part of um, in terms of if we're talking about barriers to growth for a business, I think that's a huge part. Right. Who do you have on your team and are they doing what they should be doing on your team? Should they even be on your team in the first place? Should somebody else be on your team? Um, That's really, really important. And I think in small business and especially small business on the continent, it's very, very easy to get that wrong. And it's very, very hard in a small business. Everybody knows each other. It's such a small team. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's close friends that you're working with. So it's really, really difficult to sort of get that talent part of the equation. Right. Um, the second thing. Right. So I think also just been in order of concern is capital. Um, I think it is wildly difficult for uh, small businesses to access capital um, in in a real way, right? So um, one of the things I'm constantly struck by is there's always like competitions and government programs and grants and things but when you sort of look into the nitty-gritty of like where's this capital going it's not going to small businesses maybe it's going into some big organization that says they work with small businesses and then maybe what ends up getting trickled down to that business is 5,000 or 10,000 or it's training right or um you know it's um Um, resources or something, right? But sometimes really a business just needs cold hard capital, right? They need working capital. And so when there's like this over preponderance of programs or initiatives that want to, you know, resource small businesses but don't actually want to put, you know, capital in there give them cash flow, that's a huge issue because cash flow is king, right? Most businesses, uh, most small businesses on the continent, most businesses on the continent are FMCG businesses. And FMCG businesses are cash flow businesses so you just you need to put capital in there and it it can't just be good advice or um you know moral support or you know whatever the like bring the cold hard cash right um thank you for your special advisor but can we also have capital to pay our workers pay our suppliers um you know pay our vendors and so on and so forth so um that's um item number two um and then item number three is processes right um we do a lot of things by instinct. Um, I think entrepreneurship in, in this part of the world is not just a matter of like, oh, I have a cool idea. I want to see how it goes. Right. In on this part of the world, it's like I need to pay school fees. I need to pay rent. I need to take care of my family. I need to feed myself. Um, and so because it's coming from an instinctive place of need fulfillment, um, we do a lot of things by instinct. We do a lot of things. Um, but the problem is that instinct is good. I think um, good business people need good instincts um, in order to thrive. But you also need process, right? Process is the critical key to unlocking scale, right? And so you can actually do pretty well in a small business with very poor process, right? Um, because if you have good instincts and you have you know good cash flow and reasonable talent, you'll be okay, right? The business will survive. Um, and it will, you know, work as a subsistence business. But the moment you're trying to unlock scale, the moment you're trying to grow, the moment you're trying to replicate what you're doing um, for more than five or 10, you know, uh, for more than a small number of people, really. If you don't have good process, it kind of all falls apart. Um, and so that's sort of like where process comes in, um, allowing this kind of like replicability um, and um, learning and moving um, past uh, your mistakes. So so those would be my three things. Um, it would be talent, capital, and then process.
2: Okay. So I would want to put you on the spot and say, because I, I find entrepreneurs are very practical people. When you yeah. give them three options, they ask you, which one should I do now? And I already have a bias for one of the options in that list. But I want this to be an opening for you to clarify, because <clears throat> the truth is, whenever you talk to entrepreneurs, they kind of think that capital is a magical key that can unlock all their problems. Right. So for example, you say you say talent. They'll tell you, yeah, they, they can find good talent. They just need the money to be able to pay their salaries, right? Then you talk mm-hmm. about process. And then they tell you they have a business that is struggling. They have many moving parts. They really don't have time to sit down and craft a process. Or mm-hmm. well, if they had enough capital, they will buy mm-hmm. time and then create the processes. So process. then I ask you, yeah, of these three, if you have to choose one, if you have to prioritize, which of these three do you think an entrepreneur should focus on and get off their list while they focus on the others? Right.
0: So I'll say I'll say two things, right? One of them is that it depends on the stage of the business, right? And, and sort of like where the business is, right? Right. Um, but I will say that, that in general, my answer is talent. And this is why, right? Um, I think that um, money magnifies. That's what money does, right? So if you've got good habits and you put some capital in there, it'll magnify. If you've got bad habits and you put some capital in there, it will magnify, right? So money doesn't necessarily solve problems, right? Right. It magnifies. So you kind of have to make sure that, um, you know, people say this and sometimes it sounds a bit irritating, but if your biggest problem as a business is money, you don't like you have a good problem, honestly, right? If if you have a business today and the only problem your business has is you don't have capital, you have a, you're doing really well and send me a message and let's talk right? But I guarantee you, it's probably not money that's your problem. Now, depending on where the business is and what the stage of the business is, it will most likely be talent or process, right? So it might be process in the sense that you just have something that's like breaking down at every point. So every time you're trying to trigger something, there's just like a lot of waste, right? One of the big things, so uh, Spurt has a technology arm. And the reason that we are building this technology arm is because we've sort of seen That across the way in the several years that we've been doing this, that there's a huge amount of waste that goes on in people's like business processes. And the reason that there's so much waste is because they have bad process. And so they're not aggregating data. They're not learning um, from things. They're doing things over and over again that maybe they only needed to do two or three times. They're paying people over and over again, but maybe they only need to pay people two or three times, right? So um, that, that process piece is kind of there. But the reason I kind of almost always default to talent is because um, we've got an interesting kind of um, quandary, right, on the continent, right? When you're building a business, you're dealing with a continent that has a lot of people, right? Um, but skills... Right, skills, attitude, um, as well as interests, right? Getting those things to match, finding people that have the right skill set, that have the right attitude, both um, ethically, um, as well as, um, you know, just in terms of like commitment to the game, and then being interested in what you're doing. That's really, really hard to match up. And the truth of the matter is, if I'm a huge business, right? So I'm running like a Total or, Um, I don't know, uh, 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 a Facebook or whatever. Honestly, at this point, a Facebook, it doesn't care if, you know, Jennifer from Kansas cares about Facebook, right? Because there's enough process, there's enough capital, and there's enough stability in Facebook as a company that if all Jennifer from Kansas does is shows up, does the bare minimum at her job, right? And she's reasonably competent in it, Facebook will be fine, right? Um, when you have a small business, you can't afford a Jennifer from Kansas, right? Who just is just there to show up and do her job, right? You can't afford people who, says, who, who, who say things like, oh, it's not my father's company. I'm not gonna die, I can't come and kill myself. When you have a small business, you need people on your team that are like willing to go the extra mile. You need people who don't just do things because they can, but they do things because they thought a step or two ahead, right? And they're like, actually, this is right for my business or this is right for the business. So maybe you have a small shop, right? And you sell provisions, right? You Maybe you don't have an inventory management system in place, but it's a small shop. Your sales girl comes to work every day. Her job is to do what? Sell. But you want a sales girl who goes ahead and says, Ah, auntie, I've noticed that corn beef is running low. And usually on Saturdays, people come and buy corn beef. So let's make sure that we buy corn beef before Saturday. Otherwise, people will come and they, they will take their money away. It's not her job, technically, right? Inventory management is probably not in her job. Maybe it's somebody else's job. Maybe it's something you do yourself. But you need somebody that cares enough, that is attentive enough, to make that note, to make a note, right? You also need somebody, small business, right? Small business operating in a community. People love credit in Nigeria, right? And there's people that are good creditors and bad, um, there are good debtors and people that are bad debtors. Typically, your salespeople are the people who know those people, right? They're the people who know, okay, uh, if I give this guy, maybe this guy was supposed to give me uh, 5,400 naira, but he only had 5,000 naira, I should give him the products for 5,000 because I know he will come back for that 400 naira. Whereas there's somebody else that will say, ah, no, I don't have this 2K, please give it to me, I'll come back. But she knows that she should never give that person that money because they will never come back. You need those people, right, in the business that are able to say, no, let me give this person this thing because they know I, they'll bring back the 400 naira, or the 200 naira, right? That judiciousness, that attention to detail, that 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 investment in the well-being of the company and in the well-being of what you're doing, right? You need a person that when your vendors come and drop the goods, right, maybe you're selling, you know, boxes of, um, you're, you're a wholesale, um, wholesaler for Coca-Cola or whatever, right? Um And so Coca-Cola comes and they drop off all their things. And maybe the guys on the road, one of, you know, you see all those trucks on the road, they fall off the side and the guys pack it up. Right. So maybe a few of the ones that they delivered, um, you know, were damaged. You need a salesperson that's going to tell those truck drivers, no, 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 not this one. Don't drop these ones here. These ones are damaged. Give me ones that are not damaged. It's going to make those note of those things to you. It's going to alert you so that you know that, okay, maybe you don't have the right inventory and so on and so forth. But if you have People that are just doing their jobs, right? People who are even barely competent, right? Because now I was even talking about like above and beyond, right? But now let's even talk about the other case, which is people that can't even do their jobs, right? People that have no competence whatsoever and are just going to bungle their way through your business. That's going to get in the way, right? And this has nothing to do with whether or not you can afford to pay, um, you know, Jennifer twenty thousand or fifty thousand or a hundred thousand, right? It has to do with what is the quality of you know, professional um, and person that Jennifer is? And should she be in your business in the first place? So that's why for me, talent is always the first place.
2: Hmm. Okay. So it appears you've made a very strong case for talent. Now, I know how some of my people will come back, which is it's often said that the unemployment rate in Africa is very high. Mm -hmm. But the problem we see on the ground is that people, many young people are not ready to work. And then even when they come to work, they just, it's like they work to rule. They just, they want to show up and be paid for showing up. They don't want to be paid. They don't want to think. Yeah, I think that's thats a buzzword there. They don't want to think. They just want to show up and get paid. From Absolutely. what you're saying, what you're saying is the kind of people you need to grow and scale a business are more or less thinkers, not mm-hmm. the kind of people... It's not my job description. It's not my job. Now, mm-hmm. it's it, it's not my father's company. You were very right on that one. There's that whole, you know, why should I give in more? It's not my father's company. It's not my company. <laughs> now, you are talking about a job market where the real um, talented people are actually quite scarce, even though you have a large mm-hmm. pool of unemployed people. And yeah. what you're saying now is that smaller, mid-sized businesses and the entrepreneurs on this in in this session also have to compete against the banks, the yeah. telcos and mm-hmm. the big companies for mm-hmm. these same kind of people, right? Yeah. So what is these talented people are saying? What's in it for me? And Absolutely. what they are looking at is, I know beyond money, what's the salary? They are thinking of, I, I want to be part of a prestigious organization, an organization that when I tell people I work at this organization, they're not going to ask me things like, what do you actually do? You know, I notice that with entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs have to explain themselves when we introduce. But somebody shows up and says, I work at ExxonMobil or I work at this bank. And -hmm. the conversation just moves on to other things. They don't ask, so what does the company actually do or something like that? So even on that level, it's a non-financial incentive. But even on that level, small businesses cannot compete. We cannot offer the big brands, the prestigious workplaces, the flashy, popular companies, right? Right. So what exactly can we offer to somebody who knows that they are a value talent Mm -hmm. such that they will prefer to stick with us, the small company, and not run off to one of the big companies?
0: Right. So there's a couple of things I want to say there, right? And and you're absolutely right, right? So one of them, and and let me take this from two angles, right? So let me take this from the point of view of the small company, right? What what do you do? So there's a term that is actually increasingly becoming popular. It's called employer branding, right? And this idea is basically, you know, how attractive are you as an employer, right? How much do people want to say I work at this? And this is something that people in the sort of startup world focus a lot on, right? They spend a lot of time new business they don't have a single customer they haven't generated an ounce of revenue right but and, and really what should businesses do a real what a business should do is generate revenue right um but startups that are pre-revenue not doing anything as far as real business is concerned invest a lot in employer branding because they understand this talent conundrum right they understand that people want to work at places where they're proud to say they work at, right? So you've got all these pompous people excited to say that they work at companies that don't make money, right? As, as an entrepreneur myself and as a business person, when I look at a lot of startups that are you know, really popular and I'm like, yeah, but you don't make any money, right? You don't actually have any paying customers, right? And when push comes to shove, when the rubber meets the road, that's what a company needs to do and do well, Right. But employer branding, because the thing is that that human human experience is extremely um, subjective. Right. And it's extremely volatile. So even though these sort of like cold, hard facts, like are you bringing revenue in? Do you have customers? How many customers and so on and so forth, even though in principle, those things should matter. In practice, what actually happens is that people care about other things more right? Um, have people heard of this company? Are people excited about this company? Do people think good things, right? One of the things that happens, so we run a business where we work with a lot of consultants, right? One of some of the things that our consultants do when you bring them clients is they go and Google the client, the, the founder that we're, we're saying that we want them to work with because they want to know, uh, is this somebody that I should be working with or no, right? That's, that's the truth, right? We do a lot of work with freelancers and freelancers want to know, am I going to get paid? Right? Is this somebody that if I say, okay, I worked on your project, it's going to work out for me in my next project? And this is all sort of tied to this question around employer branding. So, yes, you're hustling, you're trying to put food on the table, you're trying to generate that revenue, you're trying to sign that contract, you're trying to bring in those suppliers, bring in that material, but don't neglect employer branding. Don't forget to make sure that your place of business is a place where people, young, talented people want to work. So coming to the other side of this, which is how do you keep, how do you bring in this talent? So people who are, you know, extremely talented, people who are going to go above and beyond, right? Right. It's actually not in their interest to go work at ExxonMobil or Facebook or, you know, some really, really large companies because they're not going to be able to do interesting work. Right. They're going to spend most of their time collecting coffee, dropping off papers, uh, proofreading documents, um, or maybe even staying up all night, but not getting credit. Right. Because that's the nature of big companies. So typically, young, ambitious people who are talented are excited about work that actually allows them you know, to be a big fish in a small pond, right? Um, and that's what small businesses are. They're small ponds, right? But you have to make sure that you've positioned yourself as enough of an attractive small pond where they can, in fact, because like you said, they want to feel good and they want to feel big and they want to feel important, right? But all of that is driven by the idea that they want to see that their work matters, right? They don't want to just show up to work and then come and like check off a list of inventory or, you know, just go and like, you know, I don't know, pick up dry cleaning and, you know, essentially be like glorified domestic staff for their bosses, Mm. right? Um, And when you don't have an attractive paycheck, to justify being glorified domestic stuff, then it's hard to attract them, right? Because you're not bringing anything else. They're not going to develop their skills in any way. You're not going to mentor them. You're not going to give them a positive work environment. It's a small business. Who knows if you'll even be here in three months or six months or Mm. So you have to think about what can I bring to the table, right? Um, and that those things are extremely, extremely important. It's true that you know the generation that we all call Gen Z is a very difficult and and it's a it's a tricky business um, generation to 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 employ, right? Because Gen Z is an interesting gen, um, generation because unlike even millennials like myself who sort of I think grew up in a world that was you know, yeah, there was the internet and yes, the digital realm existed, but life, right, in most part happened in the real world, right? For a millennial, right? What was happening on the internet was almost always going to be secondary to what was happening in your day-to-day. As a Gen Z, it's not true. Things happening on the internet are just as substantial, are just as commercially relevant As things happening in your real life, as it were, so there that that barrier, right, between the digital, right, um, and the 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 real, is not quite as tangible for Gen Z. Right. You know, that's why I say, I I don't know if you guys have ever heard the expression pics or it didn't happen. Right. If you don't have pictures, if it's not on the internet, if it's not on Twitter, if your company is not on Twitter, if your company is not on Instagram, like, is it even really a real company? Right. Like, because that barrier, right, doesn't quite exist for Gen Z in that same way. Right. Now, you know, if you're a millennial growing up in, in, on the continent in Africa, your experience is actually going to be really different from like a millennial growing up in New York or in London, or in Singapore. But the truth of the matter is a Gen Z growing up in Lagos, watching the same things, having the same arguments, chatting to Elon Musk, in the same way that a Gen Z in Singapore is doing so there's just so much like so even though they live in Nigeria, right and technically you are thinking get your head screwed on straight, right you're not in New York, you're not in Singapore you know, even though they live in Nigeria and you think that their, their world view should really be shaped by the reality of what's on the streets, people are unemployed people are hungry, our country is poor, right, there's not a lot of opportunity and so the opportunities that come to you, you should see them and work hard they're not seeing it that way because they know that what can they do they can go on Baidu they can go on all these different platforms and they can make money they can buy NFTs they can buy Bitcoin they can become influencers they can go and have surgery and take nice pictures like this they've they've got so many options created by this digital world and it's true that it might not work for most of them right but there's a kind of like um it's it's too close right it feels like too much of a real option that they're not going to take your real job with real responsibilities that isn't really exciting And that's hard. It's hard to manage people like that. Right. And that's that's something that, um, for instance, as a business, we think a lot about with with talent management and how we support. um, We do a lot of hiring support for our clients. And this is some of the stuff that we help them to to navigate in the process. Right. How do you work with um, a workforce like this? Right. Um, But at the end of the day, it's a negotiation. There's certainly certain kinds of people you should just let go of, right? Those people are going to waste your time and waste your resources. But there is definitely on the part of entrepreneurial investment that needs to happen to be able to attract that right talent.
2: So I think you made a very strong case for for talent and then how to navigate the the nuances and the challenges around working with the Gen Z generation, which happens to have the major chunk of of the labor pool. Right now, in light of everything you've talked about so far, I'm thinking we have a business owned by somebody on this call and the person is facing challenges of growth. Now, I know you've already mentioned the talent, capital and processes, but is there any rule of thumb, any framework, any formula or process that you typically use when you work with clients like this? So somebody shows up to you and says, I, I, my business is not growing. I want it to grow. Can you talk us through your thought process and how that works?
0: Right. Um, so we always have a kind of like forensic process, right? Um, and that forensic process is we're sort of looking through all the elements of business, right? So there's a basic question we ask, right, for us, which is... Um, what does your business do right so what is what is the problem that your business is solving and who is it who is it solving it for and we look to make sure that there's a match right so if you say that your business is providing I don't know pencils right and we say, okay, so who's your business trying to, who, who needs pencils, right? And you say, oh, okay, we sell our pencils to, um, to store owners, right? Um, um, to make sure that the business, and we say, okay, is this the most effective way? Like, is, is who needs pencils most? Is, uh, is, is, should you really maybe be selling pencils to these store owners? Is there a different way to approach your business, right? Could you maybe be selling pencils directly to schools, Right. Could you maybe be selling pencils to, um, you know, distributors of schools or investors of school? What makes sense? Right. How do we much, much, much more closely match what your business says it does? Right. The solution that your business is offering. How do we match it to who actually has the problem? Because it's very, very hard to collect money from people when you're not solving their problem. Right. So that's one of the first things we do in our forensic analysis is just saying, like, is there a proper match of solution to problem? Then the second thing that we look at is um, who is doing this work, right? So who's on the team? Right. And how well are they able to do that work? Right. So you literally go person by person by person on the team, do that analysis and say, is this actually the right person to be on the team? This is something that a lot of businesses had to learn how to do during COVID, right? Because especially for a sort of like small and medium, not the micro businesses that are maybe like three or four people, but those businesses that were like 10 to 25 people, those guys had to think when the pandemic first hit, who do I really need to stay? Who do I need to let go, right? Because when businesses had to lock down, shut down, a lot of people had to make really really hard calls and they had to do this work and say, okay, actually, no, I need to keep this person, but I need to let this person go. Some businesses made a commitment and said, we're not firing anybody, right? And so then the next thing that they had to do is figure out, okay, now how do we make this business work? So some people decided they were going to do pay cuts. Some people decided that directors will not get salaries for a certain period of time and junior people would get salaries. Lots of different ways to navigate that. But the point is that this looking strongly and hard and well at who's on your team how are they doing the work and whether they fit that's for us the next step in the process then the third step in the process for us is sort of saying okay so we've we've looked and we've seen whether there's proper alignment between the solution being provided and who actually has the problem we've also looked at who's delivering this solution to these people. Um, And then the last thing that we look at, um, and we always think it's the hardest problem to solve, is we say, is there some behavior in the sort of client base, in the people who have the problem that needs to be changed, right? Because then maybe that's the last thing. And so maybe there's A way in which you need to reorient your solution or reorient your client so that they can actually be better users, right? This is something that, for instance, Apple as a company is very, very good at, right? Apple is constantly remaking us in its own image, right? So who knew you needed an iPad before Apple told you you needed one? And now people are like, oh, my God, I need to replace my iPad. Like, really, is that a real problem? It's not really. Right. But Apple as a company is good at that. And just generally good entrepreneurs, good businesses are good at shaping clients. But for us, it's, it's, it's like the third tier of thing, because really, there's so much need and there's so many issues and challenges that if you get those first two things right, typically you can start to unlock growth right? But obviously to be able to get to it right, Apple's going to be probably the first 3 trillion um, valuation company in the world because you that, that it's that extra third step, right? That extra third step of creating clients, creating behavior, unlocking behavior. But usually that third step is not really needed um, to be able to at least unlock that first um, or second layer
2: of growth. That's, that's fine. Fair, fair enough. Now, Interestingly, um, you didn't mention any one magic bullet for unlocking growth in the business because you mentioned a couple of times that there are different possibilities. There Mm -hmm. are different possible things you can change. Now, um, let's look at the efforts that entrepreneurs put into this. So Mm -hmm. maybe they're trying to rationalize their workforce or they are Mm -hmm. trying to better channel their products to the intended market or audience. Now, as they do all these things, How can an entrepreneur be sure that what they're actually doing is really leading to growth? So essentially, how does an entrepreneur measure what they are doing to be sure that, okay, this thing is leading to growth, but these other things I'm doing are actually wasting my time. So I need to stop them. So it's all a matter of efficiency because they only have 24 hours in a day. And if you can focus more on those things that actually work, then they can get more results.
0: Absolutely. And that's exactly correct. And look, so when you work with like MBB, right? So that's like McKinsey, Bain, um, BCG, or Big Four, right? KPMG, PwC, you know, all these big companies, there's no way you will escape a pitch from them where you won't get a framework. They'll tell you uh, the seven S's, the four twos, the whatever. They love that stuff, right? Because it's easy. Copy and paste template, copy and paste. And it works, For big business, it works for businesses of a certain size, because after a certain process, because once you have process to rely on, you can replicate things, right? But this is literally why spread exists, because we realize it doesn't work for small business when you have such a small pool and you actually have to pay attention. And somebody has to think about it, right? Somebody has to think about what do you actually do in that context? And what we realize is it's data. Right. So how do I figure out what's actually making sense? Collect data. Remember, the first thing I said was how well is my solution matched to problem? Right. The only way that you can do that analysis is by collecting the right data. Right. So don't ever. And that's why our technology arm exists is really helping businesses to collect the right kinds of data around their, their, their businesses. So you want to know what aspects of my business are the most lucrative. I have a store and the store literally has, you know, 700 SKUs, right, that I'm selling. Right. And every day I rack my brain to figure out how I can get all that money to buy all those 700 SKUs. But if I took time and I went through my inventory logs and I went through my sales logs, I would find that only about 20% of my SKUs move on a regular basis, right? The rest of my SKUs are not actually moving. So why am I selling the other items? Who am I selling them to? What is the solution? Maybe the solution is to figure out those um, other 80% of your SKUs who needs them and figure out a new way to channel To those people, right? A new channel for those people. Or maybe the other thing you need to do is say, um, I need to focus on that 20% of my SKUs that accounts for 80% of my revenue, right? So I become a more specialized business, right? But you need to figure out, is there enough depth in the market to hold, you know, amplifying that 20% of my SKUs to become 80% of my SKUs? Will there be enough people to buy Right. Is there unmet demand in other places that I can then capture and pull into my business? And all of that is a data question. But you need to sit down and take through. And I say to people that, you know, sometimes people think like data is like some, I don't know, something, some zeros and ones on a computer. It's just information. I'm a seamstress. What's what's what do people come and buy from me most often? Maybe because I'm a seamstress in Ghana, what people come and buy from me is something called kaba and sleet, which is like a long skirt um, with a nice top. So what do I do as a seamstress to save my time? I made sure that the I cut patterns. Of different sizes for slits and covers, right? I cut them down so that when somebody comes to me and says, Oh, I want to make something, because I'm in Ghana and I know that 70% of the time when a woman walks into a shop, she's coming to buy cover and slit for me. I tell her, You know what? I'll have it for you in six hours. And then people know that, ah, this lady's she's gonna be ready. So I'm gonna take her two weeks. So I'm gonna take her four days. So gonna. But she's ready. But why? The reason she can do that and she knows her fabric is not wasting and so on and so forth is because she's actually looked at the data and she says, okay, this person, this is what people call, right? You you go into boutiques, right? One of the things. So I, I I've done a lot of work with like boutique clients, right? They've got lots and lots of stuff and they're frustrated. It's not selling, and I say, okay have you ever, ever looked at who comes into your shop and doesn't buy? They say no. They're like, do you know how many people come into your shop and don't buy? They say no. I said, do you know that's data walking out of the door? Every day people come into your shop and they don't buy. Why? Collect that information because you can harness that information for free to then figure out how you read position what it is that you're offering and what it is that you're selling um, to make sure that it actually adjusts, um, it it actually deals, satisfies customers. I see a question in the chat. Should I address it?
2: We will get to that point. Okay. We'll have a question and answer session. Yes. So, but please let the questions keep rolling in. As you listen to what Christine is saying, um, I, I need you to use the chat feature here to leave your questions. I already see a couple of questions from Will Broad. Um, mm-hmm. They are one of our members from Uganda. They are, the business is about providing affordable housing, but it targets women, particularly single mothers. So I think when we get to the question and answer session, we would we will deal with that. So it appears we have about 15 more minutes before mm-hmm. we get to that point. And I want, I want you to bring all of this together by giving us, you know, like a real life example or case study of a client you've had the typical problem was they just want to grow. They are facing challenges with growth. And then when your paths crossed with this business, what happened? Mm-hmm. How did you come through for the business and for the entrepreneur? What changed? How did you do it? And what were the lessons you learned?
0: Absolutely. Um, Okay. So I'll tell you about a client we had. Um, They had a business, right? So service business where they were offering sort of like after school lessons to kids, Right. Um, And so, you know, you drop your kid off, and maybe they'll do like a pottery class or they'll do a painting class or something. Right. But it wasn't growing. Right. And especially with more and more the internet age, people had other things that they wanted their kids to be doing. Maybe they've started enrolling them in computer science lessons or they've started. um, And so they were like, look, the business is kind of stagnated. Right there's those people that have sort of stuck with us throughout their age. So maybe their kids were in year one, year two, and now their kids are in year five, year six, and they've sort of just stuck with us because they like it and they like our teams, but we want to see growth. Right. So what we did for the business was this question that I I told you that we always sort of ask, which is this matching of problem to solution. And we said, okay, so your business, your business is a solution, right? Fundamentally, that's what a business is. We hope your business is not a problem. Right. So, What is that solution? If they said, oh, they're creating creative outlets for kids, they want them to be confident, they want them to, you know, not be idle um, and to have things to do. Well, you're competing with the internet, you're competing with other kinds of skills. Um, So that's the problem, right? Is that the solution that you're offering, people don't quite feel like this is necessarily the best way to do it. And so we then had to ask, right, like, where else, who else has this problem, right, that your solution is supposed to address? And where do you find them? And so one of the things that we did was to look historically at the their client base, right? People that had come maybe for just one lesson, as well as people that had come in for uh, maybe repeated, but then had not come back, as well as people who had stayed. And we had sort of investigated and figured out, OK, why are they there or why are they not there? Right. And we started to we heard a lot. Right. We learned so much from from these parents about the things that were interested. Many people volunteered. You see, that's, that's the thing about certain um, client bases is that once you prod, you kind of like just like unlock a pool of information because they told us about what their friends were doing with their um, their children, what they were considering doing with their children, but did or didn't do, why they made certain choices, whether it was driven by costs or so on and so forth. For instance, one of the things we learned in this process is that the demographic that we were dealing with was actually willing to pay more money, right? So money wasn't the issue. The issue was it just wasn't that interesting. Come and do a poetry class and come and do – their kids weren't that excited. They knew their friends. So we said, okay, how do you think about this? What are your strengths as a business? What are your strengths of the team? These are people that are excited about the creative industry. They're excited about the performing um, industry and so on and so forth. And so one of the things where we eventually got to for the business is that they rebranded um, as a children's talent agency. So all those young kids you see in stage plays or in movies or in advertisements, where do people find them, Right. Um, they have to find them somewhere. Right. And so they became a place where you have a young child that is confident, that's really creative, that likes to sing, dance, act, play, bring your kid over and we will plug them into jobs. That's what they started doing. And so they would have all these other activities that they were having, the pottery, the painting, as part of this kind of like bringing out the creativity, bringing out the confidence. And more parents were coming, right? Because people want to see their kids. Everybody wants their child to be Justin Bieber, or I don't know, I don't know. I don't really know what's popular these days, but you get the point, right? So um, they did well, right? And they saw growth. They even got to a point they had wait lists. They're figuring out, like now, they're like planning a carnival with, like you know, uh, foreign agencies. Like, but this is what happens when you leverage data right? When you say, who am I solving a problem for apparently? And what do they really think about what I'm doing? Right? It's so important. And I think that sometimes when you're running a small business, you're so concerned about just like getting to just doing what is in front of you, that it seems almost like a waste of your time to sort of like dig down and bury and sort of look at these other things. But that's why consultants exist, right? Consultants are sort of there to do these kinds of things for you, so that you can do your day to day, right? Because you can't be focusing on delivering people's classes to them and then thinking about this and so on and so forth. Um, but that, for me, is like one example. I think that I, I'm, I'm, you know, I could give them like a business that we supported um, and how how we help them to think about
2: um, repositioning their value proposition. That that's a great example because. It's not a it's not a traditional example. One would have thought you would say something about uh, manufacturing, and but nothing is lovelier than you know, a company that's trying to do creative work with kids. Mm-hmm. And I think what I really like is how you reinterpreted what value means for the customer, because yeah. essentially they didn't change most of the things they were doing. The pottery all. and all that was still going on. They just changed the language of the value. So rather than just have your kids do pottery work, we're going to more or less act like a talent scout who will build your child into a talent that is attractive enough for the kind of companies and brands that are looking for. Okay, that's quite exciting. Okay, (laughs) so before I take the questions, I just want to ask, um, I have a penchant for asking about mistakes because I think um, if you look at how many of us are groomed in the conventional school system, Mm -hmm. the clear rule is you should not fail If if you fail, you're going to be embarrassed. There'll be consequences. Mm -hmm. But what many of us find in entrepreneurship is that failure takes a different meaning because failure is a teacher. You learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes, right? Mm -hmm. So I like to ask about mistakes. What are the most common mistakes you notice that entrepreneurs make as they try to put in their best efforts to grow their company? So they're putting in their time, their energy, but you can clearly see given the benefit of your experience and expertise, that you know, these things are mistakes. They're actually going to ruin you more than they can help you.
0: So I think there's two things that I see um, entrepreneurs do over and over again. One of them is not collaborating with other entrepreneurs. As a small business, right? (laughs) You, You kind of have to think about your power as being in numbers. Right? You cannot, for instance, negotiate with, um, you know, other, um, you can't negotiate with other, um, like bigger, you can't you can offer more competitive pricing, more competitive payment terms than a big business, right? So maybe you are selling, I don't know, bread, right? Your bread is delicious, right? Big business that I have a big bakery. I can say, okay, I'll put my bread in ShopRite. ShopRite can pay me every 30 days or even 60 days and I have the cash flow. You, your small business, you need ShopRite to pay you every week, right? Right? So there are just certain things that you can't do when you have a small business, right, because of um, your scale. But this is where collaboration comes in. For instance, I'll tell you some work we did over during the pandemic. We were working with um, medical, with um, small hospitals who were being creamed by big hospitals. They were not getting any PPE, right? Why? Because the big guys, they go in, they place all the big orders, um, and they, um, you know, they go ahead and there's nothing left for the small guys. Here's what we did, right? So we essentially encouraged them um, to collaborate. So all the hospitals, those small little clinics that, um, you know, are part of these, um, um, you know, little, that we're not refusing to work with, uh, together. Um, essentially, what they did was they took um, all of their orders grouped their orders. Um, and then what did they now have? They had a huge order that was able to compete. They had a huge client base um, and they were able to then place their orders to get the PPE in, PPE in. Just generally this kind of collaboration is something that I don't see enough in small businesses. And it's how small businesses in other parts of the um, world, in Asia, you know, in the US, how they thrive. They figure out where is it that um, they can sort of like band together and get better terms for themselves. But there's almost like, you know, I won't survive or, you know, I have to go it on my own. Or if I don't do this by myself um, and other people find out, maybe they'll find out like my secret sauce. Like one of the things that I, I often see is like people think they have some secret sauce, right? Some secret idea. Execution is that secret sauce, like forgets whatever, like execution, if you are a superior executor, you will win nine times out of 10. So collaborating with somebody doesn't cost you anything. Most times you actually gain something.
2: Okay. So um, I think you just hit the nail right on the head. And the syndrome you talked about is, I think in my observation, is quite much more prevalent within Africa. You see somebody who just has an idea and you're trying to help the person make sense of it and they're telling you um, I can't I can't say much about this idea because you're going to steal my idea That's one thing I see the second one is somebody shows up and says, you know this new product that is really popular I was the first person who had the idea three years ago and I'm like, nobody cares nobody cares had the idea first yeah nobody the person the person people care about is a person who has the real product or the real service on the market. That's exactly. what matters, you know. Yeah, exactly.
0: so. yeah, and 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 that's that's a thing that I think with small businesses, people need to recognize: execution wins all the time. I mean, look at this un, unfortunate situation that blew up on Twitter with um, Norbase and um, I forget the other company. Sidebrief, right? These mm-hmm. two companies. Yeah of have said, you know, there's been some infringement of IP. Now, what's going to happen, right, is hopefully, I mean, they'll figure it out in the court of law and they'll figure out. But at the end of the day, right, um, what matters is who's able to get to market, who's able to get in front of customers. Because unfortunately, regardless of who's right or who's wrong, a customer just says, who's serving my need, right? Who's serving mm-hmm. my And they give their money to whoever is serving their need. Um, and so people who are like, oh, my God, I can't talk about it. It's so secret. And it's just it's, it's a mind blowing idea. There's so many mind blowing ideas. Right. You know, I always say like whenever I mean, I, I lived in, in the US, you're walking through the subway. And you're just hearing all these beautiful artists, beautiful music. Why aren't they Beyonce? Why aren't they Mariah Carey? Why aren't they? They're, they're talented. They sing just as well, sometimes even better. It's about opportunity and execution, right? Who gets in the door and who's able to execute? Um, so yeah, I agree. People need to let go of that.
2: Okay. So we, I, I must tell you that you did very, very, very well with your time management. We just have about... <laughs> Two minutes to go because normally I give a full hour to the to the special guest, and I think we've really squeezed out as much value as is possible from from the one hour. So what I'm going to do now is to look in the comment section and then um, read out some of the comments there, so you can you can start to address them. Now this is the business I talked about earlier. Um, it's called Smart Havens Africa. I happen to be on the advisory board of this company. I am very familiar with their growth story. They started from nothing, from as far back as 2017 or so. And so far, they've raised a lot of money, but it's not even the money that captivates me. It's what they've been able to do with exposure. So one of the founders was a runner-up for the um, Africa Prize for Engineering Innovation. That Mm -hmm. is a prize by the Royal Academy of Engineering in the UK. They are a strategic partner with Real, which is like a very major name in the affordable housing space. Mm -hmm. So it's not just what they've done with raising money. It's what they've done with the kind of branding you're talking about, employer branding, getting themselves out there, making use of platforms. I'm on the advisory board. You have um, a former executive director of Shell on that board. You have a former senior employee at uh, Unilever on that board. And, you know, these people are working for this company, an African company for free. So you start to ask, how did you get these people on the board? So they are Mm -hmm. networking solid, you know, so I don't take them for granted at all. So that's why when they ask questions, I always, you know, give them that, um, that attention. So he's asking for metrics. What are four metrics you would, you would recommend that he focus on? given that they are into the provision of affordable housing for low-income families i know you touched briefly on this but i don't want to preempt you so uh, just have this have your stab at answering this question
0: absolutely um yeah so great sounds like a really great business um so here's what i see so what are the four metrics that you think you should be tracking Um, So you have a housing business, right? Um, I think it's important when you're doing affordable housing, right? um, Profit comes at scale, right? Because you're dropping the prices of the unit. So you don't have a huge margin on each unit, right? So I think one of the things you should definitely be tracking is just like how many units you're selling, right? That's like an obvious one. Um, But I actually think a more important one is to be tracking what is the length of time from when you are starting or opening a sale to when you close the sale? How long is that duration? And see what it is for each sale, each sale that you're doing and what goes right and what goes wrong. Does this make sense? So when you close a sale, how long does it take you? And what are the things that um, go right in that process? When a sale falls through, how long does that also take, right? How long is it taking you to fail and what goes wrong? If you track those metrics, right, and you're sort of keeping a um, sense of that duration, those factors that are you know causing failure, you'll be able to sort of see a bit of a pattern. You can even do a historical analysis. So I don't know how many units you sold right now, but let's pretend like you sold 150 units already. If you look back at those 150 units, depending on what your data um, uh, gathering has been like, if you look at those 150 units, let's look at how long on average did it take for you to sell those units? Which were the units that took you the longest amount of time to sell? And which were the units that took you the shortest amount of time to sell? And what were the parameters that were, what were the parameters that were, um, you know, common to, to those? Um, and and those are the sorts of things that um, you, you can sort of take a look at and unearth. And then you can start to replicate, right? Maybe you've got a Dynamo sales person in your team that you need to, um, you know, keep, um, you know, leveraging or that needs to, de- to deliver training uh, services to everyone. Or maybe you've got somebody um, on your team that you um, need to let go of, right? Because they're consistently behind all of the sales that have failed. Those are some of the things that are really, really, imp- um, uh, really important to, um to to participate, um, to to look at, to track as as you're going along the way. Um, So I would look at those. I see that you say moving from blueprint, validation, and then preparation and scale, how do you know when it is that your business is ready to scale? So knowing that you're ready to scale has a lot to do with how much stability there is in the business, right? So one of the things, one of the ways in which we identify immediately that a business is not ready to scale is whenever their process breaks down when something new comes in or volume increases, right? So maybe you're able to handle one sale at a time really well. But the moment, sometimes you have like, let's say three or four or five, everything breaks down. Everybody's haywire, everybody's phone is ringing. Your business is not ready to scale, right? So you then need to figure out that, okay, how do we create a process, a system where whether we're selling five units or we're selling 20 units, or we're selling twenty, um, um, or, or we're selling fifty units. The process is working, right? And the process doesn't break down or fall apart at that point. And that's exactly how it works, right? To be able to determine is how it's, it's about pressure testing, right? If everybody was so, for instance, if you have if you have a system where everything has to go through phone calls. Right. That is not a very scalable system. Right. Because it means that if you have to every from beginning to end, everything needs to be a phone call. Then it means to sell 20 units. Somebody is on a minimum of 20 calls. And if it, and you then need to figure out, can one person handle that? Do I maybe need to bring two people on so that it's three people spread across these 20 calls? Maybe maybe I know that actually the sticking point is 20 per person. So maybe in order to be able to expand past 20, then I need to maybe have two people, right? And these kinds of like points in the business are actually quite difficult, right? Because you might have a system where you your team is functioning well then there's like 15 people or 20 people. And then all of a sudden there's like one extra, right? So it's like 21 clients, and it's all falling apart. And you're just like, but it's one extra. But what you don't realize is that you've actually just hit the elastic limit of the capacity of your team at that moment.
2: And so you need to be able to, you need to be able to. But well, one thing I wanted us to focus on is what she just said about how to know when it's time to scale your business. I don't know if you caught that. She said, you know, your business is ready to scale when the process doesn't break down. So she said, it's all about pressure testing right? It's all about pressure testing. And I I think that's a very practical piece of advice because sometimes people just go with their gut feeling to say, I started this business five years ago. I think it's about time. It's not about being about time. It's about being able to withstand the pressures of the next level. So I hear you very well, loud and clear. That was very beautifully said. So let's see. Um, I now want to move into the outro um, segment. And then before we learn about how our uh, members can follow through. Um, this session is private and exclusive to the members of the Insiders. And then afterwards, it will be shared with the listeners of the podcast. So at this point, the question is, if you weren't doing what you're doing right now, and from your voice, from the way you talk about it, this is something you are clearly very passionate about, right? But let's imagine an alternate universe where you couldn't do what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. What do you think you'll be doing? I'd be a baby girl. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't be a baby girl forever. <laughs> Who said? You, you, Who you have said? to grow at some point. No,
0: no. Um, I'm I'm I, I love uh, you know, sort of like the creative arts and creative work. So something that we also do, um, I would I I I write um and
2: I paint. Um so I would just do that instead. Oh okay. um, I would just do that instead. Wow, yeah. write and paint. Interesting. Yeah. I I came across a close friend that I've always known for being a hard-nosed lawyer. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't know that he painted. And I saw his works of art. I'm like, is it possible? So yeah. it's quite remarkable what people can do. Uh, when we think they're just one person, they can also have other sides of their life. Then quickly, is there a perspective you have on life or business that many people may not agree with? So it's something you believe. It's something you think should be the way. But it's an unpopular opinion, but you still stick to it.
0: Yeah. Um, so okay. i I think I think for me, uh, fundamentally, I think that. Uh, so uh, let me let me put it this way. I think that some people feel that because they're doing the right thing, right, their business should thrive, right, um, and that you know. It shouldn't be right. It shouldn't be justice that people do unethical things and their businesses are able to thrive. Um, And I think that you have to separate those two things. You have to do the right thing because you believe it is the right thing. um, And that's why you do it. And then you must do everything you can to support and help grow your business. Does that make sense? So um, this kind of like, I I see it all the time, people sort of match. So, you know, you go to people's business and then they, you know, they say all their prayers in the morning and they think, okay, because of how hard we pray and the fact that, you know, we shame people in the office if they don't go to church or they don't come for the vigil, that's what's going to make their business do well. I don't think it works like that. I don't actually think that the moral um, and, 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 and the commercial are tied together. I think you do the morally right thing because it's the morally right thing and that's who you are and that's the kind of person you want to be in the world. And then I think that Business is business is business. And you have to recognize that sometimes you will lose out because some people are willing to do the wrong thing and you're not. And you have to be comfortable with that. And and, and that sometimes I think is the test of your moral character. Right. That, yes, if I made the wrong, um, if I had done something that I thought was unethical, um, it would have allowed my business to, to thrive. I would have gotten that contract. Right. And because I didn't do it, I lost out on it. Right, but that's that's the price you pay for your morals, right? If the morals were easy to have, um, but I often hear it. I hear it so often. oh, you just keep praying, or you just keep doing, and I'm just like, it's not true. You it, you will fail if you're going to fail. Just understand that,
2: <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, so so I I think you nailed this one, a hundred and one percent because it's a deeply unpopular view, especially when you're talking to an African audience, as Absolutely. you know. The, the data is out there. We are, we, are, we are the most religious society on in the world, you know. Even without breaking it down from a country to country basis, we are most of the largest populations of faithfuls you find in most of the religious organizations on the African continent. And as you may know, it's not strange to walk into one of the open air markets in a city like Lagos by noon and you see people abandon their shops and they come outside, and they're having a fellowship. Exactly. They're praying, right? Exactly. So, and then sometimes they, they are confused why they pray so hard, but then the business isn't working.
0: Absolutely. And what you
2: just said right now is spot on. Yeah. Your morals are your morals. Yeah. Business principles are business principles. One yeah. does not substitute the other. Absolutely. So if you pray, if you pray hard, you should be ready to do the right things and actually work hard in your business. I can't think of a better way to, to you know, nail this in. I think it's, it's really, really spot on. I agree, but it's also a very unpopular opinion. And yeah. it means you totally just nailed the, the question. So for our listeners who are listening to this, both in this private session and later on on the podcast, is there, let, let's start with our members, the insiders. Is there a private offer or something they can do to follow on with you if they want to learn more around business growth and how they can take their business to the next level.
0: Right. So I'll say two things. I'll come back to the first thing I said in the beginning, that if you are really running a business where really your only problem is capital, call us. (laughs) Um, But then the second thing is call us anyway. Um, You know, um, so you can sort of reach us. um, So we're SPURT, S-P-U-R-T. Easy way to remember is to think about a growth spurt. Um, So if you go online and you type SPURT, um, you know dot solutions or spurt dot group uh, you'll find us you can also find us on instagram at spurt solutions either way reach out um, let us know that you're an insider and we'd be very very excited to sort of give you a free um, you know uh, our, our strategy session where we sort of unpack with you what a problem is. So for instance, um, the problem that um, the, the conversation that Will brought started around what four metrics, I'm happy to sort of sit with you for an hour and think about how do you really unpack those four metrics, right? How do you actually take that data around um, length of time from the beginning to the close of a sale and how do you unpack it into something that's rec- replicable that you can track easily? We can spend an hour with you doing that and you can go in and that in your business. And we'll do that for free for um, all of wow. the insiders. So we're happy to do that.
2: Wow. Wow. So for those of you who didn't hear clearly, Christine is offering a free one-hour session exclusively to insiders. So and in that session, there are no holds barred. You can discuss any of your business issues, particularly around business growth. And um, after this session, I'm going to share the link. No, it is SPURT, S-P-U-R-T. Let me see, can somebody type it in there? But I'm going to still send, um, I would, I'll would. i send the link, I'll share the link. Exactly, thank you for sharing that, uh, Christine. So it's spurt.group, www.spurt.group. You get on there, let them know you're an insider, yes, and then you get access to a free one-hour session to unpack anything in your business. Will Broad already says he's interested. I'm not surprised. So you know what to do, you know what to do. So um, anything on social media besides the website, where are you most active on um, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter? We
0: are active on all of them. So on LinkedIn, on Instagram, um, on Twitter. Um, my colleague Toby is actually on the call as well. And he's actually the person you'll be interacting with if you reached out to us on any social media, actually. So we're, we're active. Just hit, a, hit, hit us up. Um, we're very, very happy to help. We do this work because we think it's important and we think it's critical to um, unlo- unlocking success for the continent. So we, we'd be very
2: excited to connect with you and your businesses. Thank, thank you very, very much, um, Christine. So that being said, I'm very happy to round up this session at the stroke of 75 minutes. We did really well with time management. Thank you for, 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 for being with us, Christine. Like I mentioned, we're supposed to have three sessions. This is the first one. Yeah, to round up the year. I'm going to announce the time for the second and the third session. And the goal is to give you a very solid guide into the new year. So That's that as you it. go into the new year, you have the confidence and the will and the knowledge you need to move your business to the next level. Christine, any last words?
0: No, thank you so much for having me. This has been an incredible honor. I'm glad that I was able to speak with you all. I'm so, so sorry that, uh, for the background noise and the interruptions, but thank you so much for uh, bearing with me through it. Um, it was really an honor to be here, and I, I look forward to uh, you know, interacting more with you all and getting to know the insider community better.
1: Thank you very much. I told you, I told you. <laughs> so that was really interesting. I really want to thank Christine for making it as a special guest in our Insider Mastermind session. Um, all our members enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed the session. And we, we got a lot of interesting takeaways. And I hope based on all the things you've learned, you'll be able to start applying these interesting and important insights in your business. So at this point of the episode, there are four things I needed to consider. The very first is to join the Insiders program. So. This is an example of the kind of quality of experts of the kind of insights that we enjoy in our private community. So the insiders is a private community of entrepreneurs from over 20 plus countries who are different stages of building their business, who are building businesses in different industries. We come together to share ideas, our experiences. We come together to network. It's a virtual network. So we're doing this all over the Internet. And then we meet once a month on Zoom to you know benefit from sessions like this so if you've been listening to the small starter business podcast and you want to transition from passive listener into an active player right the insiders community is exactly what you need and to learn more about the insiders to learn about what it's about and what we do check out check out the insiders at smallstarter.com insiders smallstarter.com slash insiders. The second thing I need you to do is to tell your friends about the Small Starter Business Podcast. If I'm not mistaken, this should be the 81st episode. So, we've done over 80 plus episodes. There are a lot of fantastic things you can learn on this podcast because we cover a wide range of topics. And I tend to focus on those topics that give entrepreneurs sleepless nights, those topics that make them uncomfortable, that trouble them, that are always bugging their minds, right? So, we cover things like how to raise money, how to hire the right people, how to become a better leader, how to improve your sales. You know, all sorts of things around strategy and business problems and stuff like that. So I'm sure your friends are really going to thank you a lot if you let if you let them know about the small starter business podcast. All you have to tell them is check out the small starter business podcast. They Google it. Once they Google it, is the first result out there. And then they can take it through from there. They can either listen on the website or listen via any of the apps. It could be Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher you know, Spotify, any of them, right? Now, the third thing I want you to um, keep in mind, you know, after listening to this episode is to give us a five-star review, right? If you have enjoyed the the Small Starter Business podcast, and I hope this is not the first episode you're listening to. If you've been listening to us for quite a while, you want to give us a pat on the back, you want to say thank you. The best way to say thank you is to give us a five-star review. A five-star review does two things. First, it's going to make me really happy, yes? And then the second is, it's going to make us rank better and higher on the podcast directory. So, we become more visible to people who are looking for podcasts around business, doing business in Africa, and um, and things like that. And then the fourth thing, which is something I've been missing out on quite a while, is that, you know, Between the time you're waiting for our weekly episodes, right? I always share interesting, amazing stuff on social media. I'm most active on LinkedIn and then there's a Facebook group. So on LinkedIn, you can Google, you can search for me, John Paul Iwoha. It's going to bring you up to my my page. I have over 800,000 plus followers on LinkedIn. And that is evidence of how much they enjoy the things I post and stuff like that. So LinkedIn from Mondays to Fridays, I always post very eye-opening, thoughtful, uh, thought-provoking stuff. You're really going to enjoy it. So on LinkedIn, search for John Paul Iwoha. And then on Facebook, we have a small starter business club group. So just go on Facebook and search for small starter. You're going to see two things. There's a page and there's a group forget about the page. I've already mothballed the page. Uh, The page is dormant, right? Sign up for the group. And within the group there, we share a lot of interesting posts. And there are a lot of conversations going on. People ask questions. I'm able to answer. You're going to learn a wide range of things. So don't forget, uh, you don't have to always wait for the episode, for the podcast episodes, which are only released once a week. Between the episodes, I share amazing stuff on LinkedIn, and in our Facebook group. So I'm hoping you can check out. Don't forget the Facebook group is um, facebook.com slash group slash small starter. Or you can just search for the Business Club Small Starter on Facebook and it's going to send you to the group. So on to the very next episode, I I hope you stay safe. Um this episode is being released in the second week of January. So you have the whole year ahead of you. And I'm looking forward to blowing your minds encouraging you, inspiring you, challenging you, teaching you, informing you for the rest of this year. I promise it's going to be an amazing ride. Cheers. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Small Starter Business Podcast. To take our free business courses or join one of our signature programs for special entrepreneurs like you, head over to smallstarter.com to join our private community.
2: See you inside.